All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bow Sides podcast. Today we have one of the, oh, I'm going to say it, I'm going to claim it, Christian Stevens, apologies, mate, but we've got the official number one mortgage broker in Australia who's going to push a billion dollars in a, a financial year. Billy, thank you for, for joining us, mate. Daniel, thanks for having me. Am I just a clarify? Yeah, I'll be number one for a very long time. Ah. And so how how does somebody become number one? Is that a goal you've set or did you fall into it? Mate, interesting question. Honestly, looking back on it a few years ago, I never thought I'd ever be in this position. Um, just, I guess, I don't even know what the answer is. I guess I might start by giving you a bit of a background as to how I got into the space. Um, I was a bit lost, you know, always through school, suspended, suspended, expelled. Took me five years to do a three union degree. What degree was that? I don't know, so long ago, it was a finance, at Macquarie, finance, majoring like echo finance, but I got past, past, past credit, didn't really give a fuck about union. <laughs> um, went away, six months Mexico to Colombia, came back and I was an Uber driver. And when I was Uber driving before I went away on my trip and I picked up my boss, uh, Michael Hines and Uber literally seven years ago. Um, I think our anniversary is in, in two weeks. Wow. And that's how I got the job. Um, so picked him up in the Uber, started having a chat. One thing led to another. Um, and he, for initially, so I'll go back on the story. So I picked him up in the Uber. Uh, he was going from Paddington to Bondi. And I was just came back from my trip. I was still jet lagged. And I remember thinking in my head, like, thank, because back then in Uber, you didn't know where you were going. Mm. So you could pick someone up in Paddington. They could take you like manly barrel. <laughs> and I saw he was going to Bondi. I'm like, hectic. I'm going to go home, go home, relax. Um, started talking to him. And I remember the moment so clearly. We were going over St. Arnfield Drive. I was sitting in the car, like just slumped, you know, slumped over. Had no, had no interest in the conversation. Started chatting to me. He goes, so what, what do you do with yourself? I'm like, I just finished uni. He goes, what did you study? I go finance. Um, and he goes, what are your plans? I'm like, I'm not sure. I just came back from a massive trip. I, I remember the words so clearly. I want to have my one last summer on, at the beach on the grassy knoll of Bondo. That's my happy place. And then I go, what do you do? And he goes, I own my own finance company in the city. And it's, it's like a, a dog with a schmacko. Like it, as soon as you wave a little tree, like popped up, started, talk, started talking. Um, and he handed me his business card. He goes, Whenever, if you ever want to go for a coffee, let me know. Um, and so I started engaging. I was a bit more interested in the conversation. And then he says to me, he goes, man, it's always so hard to get an Uber to the airport in the morning. And I'm like, where are you going? And he said, uh, Melbourne tomorrow, 6 a.m. And I'm like, I'll be there. And he goes, you'll be there? I'm like, I'll be there. Dropped him off. Um, went home, I remember looking at his business card, was Michael Hines, Executive Director, Staff of Capital. I remember thinking, looking at him like, this could be my chance. Then oh. the next morning, picked him up, talked shit, talked about girls, partying, nothing really business related. And his offer went from coffee to come spend a few days in the office with me. So I came back from his trip, took him up as an offer. Um, back then, when I, when I first started, I think I was like the seventh, eighth employee. It was like wow. a t- tiny little office in Sydney. Spent, spent like a week with him going to meetings. It was sort of, it was sort of silly season. He was, the business had just started, so I was out entertaining a lot. Um, after the few days with him, uh, there was nothing to do. They got me delivering like uh, beach umbrellas. They had like, they ordered like 300 Stanford Capital branded beach umbrellas. And I remember walking around the city with like five beach umbrellas, one arm, five beach umbrellas, the other arm, tans, smoking durries, going, how good is this? Gonna pay 25 an hour. I remember thinking in my head, like, there's no way this guy's going to keep me, but I'm going to lie on my resume and say, say I did a three-month internship at Stanford Capital. Um, and then it was like the day before Christmas, like the last business day, I said to him, like, well, so what's the go, guys? Do you want to keep me or not? And they go, mate, we haven't actually even thought about it. Uh, he went and spoke to the other partner, Dominic Lasoto, and they go, mate, really like your attitude. Let's get you started in the new year. It was like, it was like an admin chick. It was like admin or what? something like that. 
Like so from Uber driver to doing just general hanging out with him too. Yeah, from Uber driver, I was like a admin chick. Not admin chick, I was <laughs> doing admin. I'm like, I was like to my boss, I'm like, yeah, I can't do this. Then it was like analyst. I'm like, man, I can't do this. Get me on the calls. And it all sort of started from there. Fuck. So what did you, it, did you go into finance because you met a bloke who you were, were drawn to his energy or did you always kind of want to go into the finance space? Man, well, I studied finance. I was so, I was lost. I remember like in Colombia, like before I came back home, I was sitting there. I was like, I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. I remember being in my head going, fuck, what am I going to do? I started like wigging out of my head. I would have been happy to get like a desk job for the rest of my life. Like just be like a slave cog in the system. Literally no career ambitions, nothing. Wow. Um, and then met Heinze, honestly, that one Uber ride changed my life forever. Fuck, man. Just from one Uber ride. Honestly, uh, people often say to me, where would you be now if it wasn't for, for that Uber ride? And fuck, I, I would have no idea. And so what happened from, run me through once you became employed there. How, how did you get from there to being where you are now at the top of the industry? Mate, I think it's the number one thing, I sort of in any industry and in business, is sort of reputation. Reputation and adding value and delivering. Um, and I think the one thing that I sort of have that a lot of people don't have, or people often ask me, how have you got, got to where you are? It's people skills and hustle. You know, people want to do business with people that they like and they want to do business with. Mm. Um, but it's not only just people skills and hustle, you obviously have to deliver as well. So I think it's people skills, hustle, you know, understanding what, 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 what the clients are after, what they want, um, and adding value and delivering. Because if you're adding value, you're delivering, and the people want it, people like you and they want to do business with you, that's how you get a client for life. Mm. So why, why would they ever go anywhere else? It's about sort of developing relationships with your clients. And at the start, did you focus on building relationships or were you focusing about learning the craft of broking? L- learning the craft. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting game, commercial. There's a lot of sort of brokers out there that sort of do resi and commercial. We're, we're purely commercial. We're specialists in the field. Um, it took a while. Heinz, he was my mentor, Michael Heinz, um, one of the founding partners. He was my mentor for about a year. Hmm. Um, sort of learned, learned the tricks of the trade off him. Um, and then in the early days, I remember like when I made my first phone call, it was like a $2 million deal. It was like two duplexes in like Sutherland or whatever it is. I remember like shitting myself trying to make the call. Um, and that's kind of just just doubled every year from then. I think in my first year, I wrote about like 50 mil, second year, like 100, third year, 200, fourth year, Fuck. like 250. Um, and then sort of doubled and then this year, last financial year probably did half a bill and then this financial year pushing right over a billion dollars. Mate, that's insane. A billion dollars in commercial lending. Yeah. Fuck. And so to do those type of numbers now, where are you getting your deal flow? Have you got a system that you use to prospect? Have you just built relationships with yeah, these key people? Like how? Bit, you- of, bit of everything. So I'm sort of, I'm sort of building the team out below me. Um, so I've got two sales guys at the moment under me. I'm about to hire a third, a third a girl who's starting with me in, in two weeks, on the Monday week. Um, and I sort of, I sort of train them up. I teach them how to do the calls. Um, so they are prospecting for me as well, for the business. Um, but to start, it's really about just building the database and the relationships and market. It's, it's a pretty easy thing to sell what we do. Essentially, mm. we're, we're, we're calling people and offering them to save the money for free. You know what I mean? So once you can truly understand the value add in that, and you, you truly believe that you believe in what you're selling and what you're saying on the phone, it's very hard for people to say no to you when you're literally saying, we're going to save you money for free. Um, 
and it's getting easier and easier. Like I'm telling the guys under me now, I'm like, I've we've paved the path for you. Like now, the Stanford's got a brand name and market. There's a rep, there's you know reputations mm. there. When when I'm calling people now and my guys are calling people, it's you call them and go, oh, it's you know Billy Moss Stanford Capital. That they're, they're begging for a meeting, particularly now in this market where you know a lot of developers and investors are they're faced with like the perfect macro microeconomic storm. Interest rates have tripled. Construction costs have gone up thirty percent. There's delays to Delays to CC, you know, construction certificates for developers used to take three months. Now they're taking nine months to 12 months. Jeez. Delays for OC, planning's taking a lot longer. Um, so it's literally just the perfect storm. It's, you know, when the cash flow was point one and money was free, everyone thought they were a hero and didn't, didn't need the help of a broker. But now that the, the, the headwinds in the market have turned, so is sort of the sentiment. So there's a lot, a lot of the big boys, a lot of the billionaire clients that I'm chasing. Two three years ago, I've been calling them for years. They go, "Not not interested, not interested." Now they're all they're all coming back and reaching out. Wow! So, because I had we had Sean White who um, is in finance as well, and he said that the market's now bringing up deals that are below the line to the top of the surface, where people that didn't need the help of brokers now do. What are you seeing in ter- in, t- in terms of loan types? Is it more construction, land bank, development, yeah, refis? I've probably got a probably a billion dollars plus in my pipeline at the moment negotiating a market. Seventy percent of it, I'd say, is sort of land bank, pre-development and construction. Um, pre-development and construction. There's going to be a massive fallout from the banks. Um, the banks, the, the banks have just been raped and pillaged over the past few years. Um, when the cash rate went to, to, to taking a step back to just give you a bit of context, our staff has been around for thirteen years now. Um, five years ago, 80% of our volume would go to the banks, 20% to the non-banks, maybe 75 bank, 25 non-bank. Now it's flipped, flipped on its head. So now, now 80% of our deal flow goes to the non-banks, 20% to the bank. And I guess the, the real catalyst for that in market as to why, why that happened, um, when COVID hit, the cash rate went to 0.1. Hmm. Um, all the high net worths in market, the, all the high net worths that had you know, 30, $40 million in a term deposit with one of the banks making three, 4% a year. That went down to one percent of that. So all these all these guys go fuck it. I'm going to take my money out of the banks, put it in the non-bank space. The non-bank space, you're getting eight plus percent returns. You're getting first mortgage. You're getting personal guarantees from high net worth, you know, experienced developers. Um, just chasing high high returns on their on their savings. And so what happened in the non-bank space? You had an influx of capital, increased liquidity, increased competition. LVRs up, rates down. Um, so there's never been there's never been a such a small gap between bank and non-bank. Wow. Um, and, and the banks as well, you know, I've never met a, I've never met one client that's happy with their bank manager. You know, if, if banks did their job properly, I probably wouldn't be in the position that I'm at today. Um, and not only that, all the, all the BDMs from the banks, the non-banks just poached them. Mm. So all, all the, all the guys that have been in the banks long term for 20 plus years, you know, that have been servicing those clients, they've all been taken out. Um, so there's a, there's a significant, serious frustration um, from my clients and market around their existing bank managers. Yeah, right. So a lot of the, who would be your favorite non-bank lender then? Favorite non-bank, there's a few. So favorite non-bank, the non-bank sector is probably split into two. You've got the zero to 25 mil space and you've got 25 mil and up. Um, Latrobe, Latrobe's probably eating everything zero to 25 mil. They're the, the, competitive by, the most competitive by a long shot. Uh, there's a few others that I've got sort of close relationships with, with like the, the more boutique sort of non-bank lenders, the Zaggers of the world. Mm. Um, but mate, there's a lot there. Yeah, for sure. 
I could imagine. There's, there's a lot of those. Every every week we have two, three lenders knocking on our door saying, "We're new, not new non-bank lenders, show us some deals." But it's it's all about you know cost of capital. Yeah. Do you guys lend your own money out, or is it more just broken? Yeah. Um, so I give you the sort of the sort of background on Stanford, just give you a quick little summary. So Stanford Capital Australia's number one commercial mortgage broking firm. Um, our our area of expertise is commercial only. So anything with a first or second mortgage, we do have home loan guys, we do have a relationship with home loan guys internally that look after all of our clients' home loan needs. But our areas of specialties are, you know, site acquisitions, land banks, construction loans, residual stock loans, and larger scale investment loans. Anything with a first or second mortgage is in your typical mom and dad type home loan. Um, hand on heart, we're best in market, and there's no one else who can get the, the, the overall rates, terms, and outcomes that we can. And I appreciate that sounds like a bit of a throwaway comment, but there's three key points of difference that separate us from the rest of the commercial mortgage brokers running around town. First and foremost, our knowledge and connectivity in market. We're across the entire capital space in Australia, banks, second tier banks, non-bank, offshore capital, superannuation funds, any form of capital in market that's competitive, we're across. And not only are we across, but over our 13 years in business, we've developed really close working relationships with the senior execs of both bank and non-bank. So we go straight to the top, straight to the decision makers, push and pull in our position in market to get the the best outcome for our clients, which ultimately is the best rates in terms of market. Secondly, we do that by leveraging our volumes. So each of the past two financial years, we've written over $2 million. Um, so it's, it's kind of, economies of scale and power in market. There's no, no other commercial mortgage mortgage broken firm doing those kinds of volumes year on year. Mm. Um, and dealing with the, the kind of clients that we have. So, you know, all the, all the big non-banks, we do a few hundred million dollars with them a year. So it's really, we've got leverage and, and power to, to negotiate market-leading outcomes. And then that debt business, I, I head up that debt business in Sydney. Um, the two founding partners, they're, they're stepping back to focus on the equity side. So we have Stanford Capital Australia, which is the traditional arm of the business, which is a glorified commercial mortgage broker firm. We go out to market to negotiate, negotiate the best rates and terms on behalf of the clients. The second half of the business, we have our, our own equity fund we look to do a pref equity equity meds. Um, so the two businesses combined, they're quite powerful because we can advise up and down the capital stack down through to equity mm. and look to structure deals in many different ways. Wow. So what would you what would be your favorite deal or a good deal at the moment that you could share in say the debt space? My favorite deal, like a recent deal that I've done. Mm. Um, I guess probably one of the most competitive deals I've negotiated um, in market recently, probably ever. It was uh, Two, two circa $50 million transactions, one in Mossman, one in Bondi. Extremely high net worth sponsors, extremely well known in market. Um, it was two very boutique high end developments. Uh, it was like 70% LVR, no pre sales, 1% of stab, 2.7 margin, 2.7 line fee. Wow. Um, which is which is market leading. Like it was definitely the, the sharpest terms I've negotiated by far, particularly the the 70% LVR and the no pre-sales to get sub three on the margin and line fee, it's it's a cracking outcome. Pretty good. And, and most of your developers doing, what type of deals are they doing? Your big high rises or your boutique luxury? A bit, bit of everything, right? Like um, a lot of the clients that I started with, we still service them. Typically when I get in there and do one deal, it's very hard to get rid of me. So typically when I sit there, I do all their work moving forward. Um, but it really ranges. Like uh, we're looking at a deal, 180 units in, in Arncliffe at the moment, 180 units in Arncliffe, we're looking at a, a big uh, commercial office building in the city worth about $200 million. 
wow. looking at, and a range is like I'm doing a $3 million land bank in Camberwara. I'm about to get a, a term sheet signed this week for a $60 million um, civil construction facility for 112 lots in Crescent Head. Um, it really ranges, like it's minimum deal size for us starts about a million dollars. And the small ones, I sort of get someone in the team to run, but sky's the limit in terms of in terms of debt size. Like one of the one of the te- one of the partners in the business, he last financial year we negotiated a four hundred fifty million dollar land bank in the city on the corner of Hunt and Pitt. Wow. Um, so so yeah, and I think now is all, all the sort of big boys, all the guys that have been traditionally with the banks, as they all start falling out of the banks' bears, because um, the banks they're just really not equipped to service these guys anymore. Like the given what's happened in market with escalation costs, escalation interest rates, the banks really cap out, like to get a construction loan with the bank, max, max loan to cost is 75%. And that's pretty much a hard and fast rule. Debt cover, it was 100% debt cover now. Some banks are coming down to 70, 80. Westpac, on certain deals, they're considering 50% debt cover. But that's, that's only in retaliation to, they would have lost all their major clients. They would have lost a significant amount of business to the non-bank space. Mm. Um, and now it's a bit of an educational piece in market, right? Because a lot of the high net worth clients, you know, the, that I've been chasing over the years that traditionally... How would you chase the high net worth clients? How would I? I just pester. It's, it's, it's friendly, friendly pestering. Because um, the high net worth guys, you know, everyone, at the end of the day, they're like the whales in market, they're just people, right? Um, and I think everyone puts them up on a pedestal. Um, and everyone treats them in a certain way, but some of the feedback I've gotten from some of the sort of high net worths, and I guess a point to make out of it is, at the end of the day, everyone's human, right? Mm. If you think you can add value, and you think that there's a reason why you're pestering or trying to reach out to them, keep reaching out to them. Because these guys are super busy. These guys have, you know, get 10, 15 calls a week from guys trying to sell them stuff or trying to organize a meeting. The more, guys like that, they appreciate persistence. And a lot of the high net worth guys, the billion dollar clients, the half a billion dollar clients that I act for, they, they said to me, they sort of see themselves, themselves their, their younger selves in me. That's why, you know, they enjoy working with me and they gave me the initial crack. But it, it's persistence. Because yeah, right. I remember back in the day, I'd, I'd sit there, I'd look at a client, I'd go, oh, fuck, he's too big, it's not, I'm going to call him. And now I look back and I go, fuck, I wish I called him two years earlier because that was one of my biggest clients and do all his work. Wow. So what would be your advice then for younger people in finance or real estate building their career and their network? What would be the best advice you could give? Man, dream high, set, set your goals. Um, nothing's, nothing's impossible to achieve. Honestly, if someone, you know, if someone said to me seven years ago or even two years ago that I'd be, I'd be in a position of writing, pushing right over a billion dollars and heading up Stanford Sydney office and I'd have a team of, you know, eight to 10 under me, I would have, I would have said bullshit. Um, and the one thing I find with a lot of my friends and all the people I speak to, they're not setting the goals high enough, right? I'm like, I have a life coach. Joe Cotton, which actually has really helped me. I started with him beginning of last year. Makes the biggest difference. Like you write out your goals, you visualize. Like I speak to some of my mates and they're like, oh, like what do you want to achieve in life? He's like, oh, you know, like they're all 30 now. Like I'd like to have, I'd like to be able to afford like a house by 40, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, mate, like set your goals. Like you're making hundred K now. He's like, oh, you know, I let go. I'd like to be making, you know, 200 in three, four years. Like, mate, why double in three to four years? Why not double in one year? You know what I mean? I often, I visualize all my goals. I sort of have, and the process that I've I run through with my life coach, like three month goals, you have health and fitness goals. Yep. So not health and fitness, career and fitness goal, career and fitness, three month, six month, nine month, sorry, three month, six month, one year, 
three-year, five-year goals. Then you start at the top, like, what do, you, what do you want to be achieving in five years? And then you work your way back as to how you're going to get there. Um, and dream big. And when you do those five years coming down, do you go as big as possible? Or do you do what's dream realistic? Big. Obviously, slightly, I always set my goals slightly higher than what I think is realistic. Mm. Because even if you, if you, if you, for example, like I thought last financial year I'd write a billion dollars. So my goal last financial year is I want to write a billion dollars. The market slowed down. Um, a few few big deals got delayed. Ended up writing half a bill, right? Which is still a great outcome, but not not exactly one billion. But still, if I didn't have that goal, I wouldn't be pushing myself. And once you set that goal and you fall slightly short, hmm. it pushes you and motivates you to swing harder for that goal next financial year. Like after falling short last financial year, I'm going. There's no fucking way I'm not hitting it this financial year. And I've never been more driven, motivated to make sure I fucking hit it. Yeah, right. So you're you're getting more drive from missing the target to get there now then yeah absolutely it's all about mentality like i think i think what a lot of other people struggle with is sort of in their brain they get in their head they get anxious they they second guess themselves you just got to back yourself i wake up every morning i've got a a lumi alarm clock which is like it like emulates the sun and the, the reasoning behind that is like the the typical iphone ones it's it's like jarring like at five it's like the lumi alarm clock it it emulates the sun, so I set the alarm for 5.30, and at like 5.15, it slowly starts getting brighter, brighter, and you can pick a sound. When I wake up every morning, or like Monday to Thursday, to goats. Really? So like the, 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 the sun like coming up, like goats wow. like, mah, mah, mah. and I wake up every morning, and go, I'm the fucking best, let's fucking kill it, and just go. Um, and I think it's, 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 it's when you get in your head and you second, second, second guess yourself, doubt yourself, mm. that you really start limiting, limiting what's possible in life. And what, what's the rest of the routine look like to be a top broker? Like, is it 5.30, you're just bang, bang, bang? Like, no. run me through the rest of your day. Mate, it's, it's really important. C- career and fitness go hand in hand, right? You got to, in order to perform your best, you got to feel your best, you got to look your best. You got to, you know, they go hand in hand. And I guess one of the, the biggest things I've struggled in recent years is consistency. Mm. I'd, always, I'd always go up 10, 15 kilos, lose 10, 15 kilos, um, end of last year was I had silly season is quite big for me like I built my whole business on wining and dining um, so I think last financial year from Melbourne Cup to Christmas I had like 40 lunches and dinners wow so every day I was out with clients on the piss wining dining um, and that's how I got a lot of my business in right um, but I, I pulled my back wasn't I was hung over every day wasn't training got to like 125 kilos fattest I've ever been and I go, fuck this, I need to make a change. Send myself to a fat camp in Thailand for six weeks. Um, a fat camp in Thailand? It's not fat, like, it's like, a, it's like called Chalong. It's like where Targa Muay Thai is. Yeah. Um, you sort of just train yourself, but I just fucking punished myself in the sun for six weeks. Um, training three times a day, wake up like 5.30, go for a run, eat breakfast, go to Muay Thai, go do some body weight at the gym, come back, sauna, then a gym session at night time. And six weeks, absolutely just punish myself. So I think it was 125 kilos when I left. I came back, I was like 112, 113. Um, when I went to Europe this year, so I just had my 30th in Europe. When I went to Europe, I got down to like 103. And now oh. I'm about 110, but like muscle, like muscle and abs. Um, and it's it, like, I've never felt better. Like it's, it, it all intertwines. Yeah, and it's all about setting the routine and sticking to the routine. Like I have to, as mentioned, I have to do a lot of whining and dining for work. So I'm like, all right, Monday to Thursday morning, you just go and smash it out. Like this week, I've got, I've got a client, I've got a lunch today, I've got 
drinks after work, I've got to watch tomorrow. You know, you can't avoid that show, right? You're gonna get pissed, you're gonna you're gonna wake up hungover, but it's Monday to Thursday, wow. like I've trained seven times this week already. Already you trained seven times? Yeah. Fuck. And you're still doing whining and dining at the level you operate now. Yeah. That's how you do it. Like even last night I got pissed. Went to really? bed at like eleven thirty, woke up at five thirty today, went to the gym at six. Same thing Wednesday, right? I'm and what, you're not fatigued? You're like... Oh, fuck, a little bit fatigued. But I'm like, if you, if you want to fuck around, you want to go out and get pissed. Yeah. Like, yeah. You've got to prioritize what's most, most important. I'm like, mate, if you want to be a fuck with Billy and do all that shit, you've got to, you got to stick to your routine. That's why I said, I'm like, mate, as long as I hit my seven sessions, I can go and do whatever the fuck I want for the rest of the week. Wow. Because even then, like, I, I finished this today. I go, go, go to lunch, get pissed with some clients, talk shit. I've already trained seven times this week. So I've already hit, hit majority of my sessions, trying to get another one or two in. Um, but it's that sort of mentality, right? Because it's all about sort of confidence confidence you got to back yourself you know you look good you feel good that's the sort of energy you exude to your clients mm. and you deliver right like it's if i was a if i was five for five and i base i would not be in the position that i'm in now you know what i mean i think guys mm. i think particularly the way you look um and the way you conduct yourself says a lot about the person that you are right you know if you're if you're overweight you're unhappy you know clients can pick up on that yeah. You know what I mean? It's if you're fit, you're strong, you look good, you feel good, that's how you present yourself, that people can pick up on that energy. Yeah, wow. That's a really interesting perspective because a lot of the people we have on that are high performance or about energy mastery put the drinking and partying and that part of it's a reality in business which not many people talk about that are at the top. So it's good to have you actually be open about the fact that during the week you are doing that, those types of activities to, you have to. bring in business? I literally built my whole business on it. Wow. It's like there's one thing sitting there with the client, talking on the phone, being professional, but once you once you go out and you deliver on a deal, you know, you deliver a marketing outcome, you go take them out for lunch, you go wherever you want, Mimi's, Berg's, Shell House, you get them a nice bottle of wine, particularly the bigger clients, and you sit there, talk shit. That's how you build that relationship, right? It's, it's how you get yeah. from surface level with the client is where they just see you as like an external consultant like yeah great billy billy went to market did a did a great deal for me mm. but then you break through that you get you get in the inner circle you get you, you become close with them that they start viewing you as like a, a friend right and that's how you get that's how you build long, long-term relationships um that last the, t- the time like because i guess the difference from myself and a real estate agent yeah every year they start from scratch Right? Well, unless they have a client that has like 10 houses, he's gonna sell all the houses. I think when you have a good client, you sell a $15 million house for him. When's the next time he's gonna have a $15 million house for you to sell? Whereas the developers that I back, once I get in there one, I'm, t- I'm typically engaged exclusively moving forward uh, on all their deals. So it's constant deal flow. You know, I'd have some clients that do 200 mil plus for a year, um, depending on the year. Um, and it's just constant. So you're not out there chasing, you build those relationships you build those relationships. Whenever they're looking to buy a site, they go, Billy, what can you do here? Mm. And now I've kind of monopolized the, in particular, the Eastern Suburbs market. I bank majority of the, the developers that operate in that space. And now it's, it's kind of funny, right? Like one of, my, one of my clients gets a DM and sells a site, my other client's buying it. You know? Really? So it's, it's good. And that's how you build the reputation, right? When you sit there, when you sit there, and the number one thing is reputation, right? It, it takes a lifetime to build and one, one act to lose. Hmm. Um, but w- once you get to a certain point where you, you act for all the, all, all the, all the big developers in market, it's business comes to you, you know, and a lot of the guys, cause all, all the developers chat, right? They go, who do you use for your finances that, hmm. 
Um, and I've had so many times where, you know, clients, clients reach out, friends of a client reach out and they call me and they go, mate, I was speaking to so-and-so, he does all your work, like, mate, can we please have a chat? We would love, would love you to do my work. So it's, it's really gone. And even, even the lunches and stuff this year, typically I'd be the one taking everyone out. Now everyone's sort of chasing me in market. Wow. Not, not so much the developers, but a lot of the consultants as well, because in the, as a commercial broker, to do your job properly, it's not just, it's not just the lenders. You're going to have relationships in market with everyone, right? It's like a, it's a, it's like a spider web to massage. You've got the valuations, you've got the QS, you've got the lenders, mm. you've got the legals, right? And when you're writing the kind of volume that Stanford is and the kind of volume that I am, everyone looks like all the consultants, they look at me as dollar signs. Every deal I do, I need a valuation. Every construction deal, I need a QS. Every deal, there's lawyer, legal fees, right? Mm. Some of my consultants, you know, some of my, my preferred valuers that I use in my transaction, giving them $1 million, $2 million in fees a year. So when, when, you, when you've got that kind of leverage in market and you, you're giving that kind of business, you can ask for certain favors. You can ask, I need the valuation here. You know, I need it done in two days. Um, and that it's a, it's something that not many people have. And that's, it's, it's how I'm able to negotiate the market and, and, and massage the market as I can due to the relationships that we've built over the years and the, and the volumes that we're writing. Yeah. Wow. Do you think people finance or real estate should join a Stanford capital or do you think they can do it on their own? Really depends. Um, a lot of guys traditionally, I've, I've been asked a question over the years, you know, why don't you go out and do your own thing? Um, and the simple answer for me is loyalty, right? Seven years ago, I was an Uber driver. I would not be in my position oh. if it wasn't for that guy. And they've yeah. always looked after me. You know, I've never felt that they're my bosses. They let me do whatever the fuck I want on my own shop. You know, um, it really just depends. I think, I think you need to get started. Like, as, like, a, understand, like someone like Stanford Capital to understand industry and understand how it operates and get you know get, get your feel for the space um, but it really just depends who you're working for because um, mm. there's, there's a lot of dickheads out there right like uh, I see a lot of a lot of guys are on companies you know all their staff are unhappy you know and even now that I'm looking to going around market trying to poach staff and, and build out the team um, it's it's funny it's funny what employers think of their bosses right <laughs> the one thing I pride myself on is if any recruiter tries to poach any of my staff good luck because I, I can guarantee you that they wouldn't even consider it. You gotta, you gotta reward your staff, you gotta look after them because you, you, I, I could not do what I do if it wasn't for my team. Mm. Like even now in the podcast, there's eight people in the office firing away. We've got, got $100 million selling in the next one to two weeks. We've got $100 million in signed term sheets, like a billion dollars in market. Like there's that many emails, there's so much on the go. Yeah, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to operate at the level that I do anywhere near if it wasn't for the team. So the team, the team's probably one of the most important things as well to to building and getting to the getting to the, the scale that I'm at now. So you not necessarily on the tools in terms of writing the loan, but more doing the relationship with the clients. Yeah, yeah, I've been, yeah. I've been off the tools for a like, very long time. Um, mate, just bring the deal in, bringing the deal in, organizing the meeting, um, and then I get the guys internally to run it. I, I'm sort of the it's like an orchestra. I'm yeah. like the what's the guy at the front call the. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy commanding the orchestra, um, and it's really it's it's important. Like some guys, I sit there like a lot of the brokers that I compete with are like one man bands. Mm. I go, how can you compete? Like it's it's you, you can't compete with me if you're one man band because what I don't understand how they do it. Like the stress they'd go under, mm. you know, it's it's crazy. Would you hire? Would you recommend people hiring sooner than later? 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's so important. Um, picking the right staff. And also for me, it's like, I take a real real pride, like Stanford, cha- Stanford changed my life. Now everyone that I hire, I'm changing their lives. Hmm. Um, because coming under me, like the, there's a girl coming under me, these guys inherit my deal flow, right? So, you know, this financial pushing one bill, next financial you want to push to get close to two. Um, and then I'll, I'll sort of start stepping back slowly and just, just letting the guys in my team run the deals. So, so sort of making it more automated without, so I can sort of take more and more of a step back. Mm. The, the, the deals and the, the business keeps growing and it, so it's less focused around me. Are you, are you getting more fulfillment the, the bigger you get or is it that level of success create stress and difficulties as well? Man, it creates stress. My, I guess my goals are getting bigger. Yeah. Um, sort of what I'm pushing for. Um, what, what makes you set these big goals? Is it to see what you're capable of or do you feel at times it's to fill a void as well? Like what? No, man, to be honest, I like shiny things. Like I remember, I remember always watching Entourage growing up, um, and I want to, I want to do some dumb shit. <laughs> like for like five years, like my, my goal in five years, I want to be taking the boys around the world and PJ and super, like they're like super yacht Europe. Let's go half a million euros. Let's go, boys. Let's go super yacht for weeks. Fucking run loads. Like wow, that's what I'm. You know what I mean? That's that's what I'm striving for. Because once you, once you make a certain amount of money, it doesn't mean shit, right? Yeah. You know, one mil, two mil, three mil, four mil. It. Once it gets to a certain point, you can do whatever the fuck you want in life. It's like, what, what goals are you setting? You need it. That's why I'm saying my goals now, they're so fucking big. Like that's, I'm chasing those goals. Cause otherwise you can just get complacent. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I can sit here now and go, fuck, I had a billion dollars. That's it. Cool. But it's like for me to go from one bill to two bill, the amount of stress doubles, right? Cause all, all the pressure's on me essentially. Um, Cause it's all about delivering, right? If you say you're going to do something, if you say you can get the deal done on these terms within this time frame, you fucking do it. Cause that's how you get to the top. It's based on delivering. Hmm. If I, if if you fumbled, if you fumbled the ball every time someone passed it to you, people stop passing you the ball, right? Um, whereas if they know that every time they pass you the ball, you get a fucking try, you get a touchdown, they're gonna they're gonna keep throwing it to you, right? And the more the more opportunities that get thrown to you, the more chance you have of converting. If you're if you're a master of your craft of converting, mm. that's how you that's how you fucking dominate. Wow, inspiring stuff. So, if you would have brought a billion, you you're just fucking going for it again. I'm going for two. But now it's but now it's getting easier. But once I write a billion, you Google like once I write a billion, it'll be. Stanford Capital will be number one commercial. I'll get the awards next year. It'll be Stanford Capital number one commercial mortgage broker firm. Billy Moss, which number one commercial mortgage broker in the country. The first broker right over a billion, billion dollars. How do you, the people on my team call and go, we're the number one commercial, first broker right a billion dollars, number one commercial mortgage broker firm in the country. People will be calling us. Mm. Um, and I'm only limited. I'm only limited by my retainment resources, right? Um, and I think now we're, we're looking to grow grow massively over the next few years because um, there's never been a better time to be a broker in market. Um, the deals are literally coming. Like I'm getting I'm getting calls on deals coming to me. Um, and I've got the, I'm, I'm making some calls a week, a few calls a week, but I've got the team. I've sort of trained up two guys, trained them up to make the calls. So they do the prospecting, they take me to the meetings, they close the meetings, and then it goes through the analyst machine at Stanford. Wow. Sounds like you've got an incredible system, huh? Yeah, it's only the beginning, mate. It's but it's, it's all people management, right? That's why the, the team is the most important thing. Mm. It's all about how you know they need to respect you. You need to be, you need to be fair with them, right? 
Um, and that's where a lot of people go wrong, right? They get too greedy. You know, they, they trade their team like dickheads. And then one minute, one key member leaves and you're fucked. Mm. No, it's true, isn't it? What about, what does your team look like off the field of, of, apart from being career-centric, like family-based, coach, you said you were a coach at the moment. Like what is, do you put much emphasis on Yeah, mate, huge. It takes like a, a full, like a full team to fucking keep me going. Um, I've got a, at work, I've got like a personal carer. Her name's Barbara, Babs. It's like super smart. She runs, she's like my two IC. So she, she steers my ship, she runs all my deals, um, my entire pipeline. She commands all the analysts, all the other guys. Um, she also does like she's also like my EA. She books my Europe holidays. She does, she does everything for me, right? Does my like if I need to buy, you know, clothes or like beach towels, whatever. She just she manages my life. Um, I've got a PT Jules four times a week, um, which is I couldn't recommend highly enough. Like Monday, really? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for four sessions, two ninety minutes, two sixty minutes. Um, because they're locked in, right? It's like boom. It's like mm. th- it's Thursday. It's Thursday morning or Thursday hour, almost. And I've already done four four gym sessions plus another two, three, three cardio body weights on top, right? You get it locked in. Um, those are the two main ones. You get the more the more distractions. I've got to clean it twice a week. Um, the more life coach. The more distractions you can take away from from life. Like I don't go to the supermarket, I don't do my own washing, I don't do my own cleaning, I don't make my own bed. You know, all I focus on is just getting doing deals, managing the team and extracurricular activities on the weekends. <laughs> well mate, it sounds like you're living the dream. What does success do you do you feel like for anyone listening, what would be your best pieces of advice for success to wrap up? Mate, chase your dreams. Anything in life is possible. Um, don't don't think that, that there's anything that's not unachievable. If you set your if you set your mind to it, and you truly believe that you can do it, back yourself to get there. Because as, as I touched on previously, like, never in a million years did I ever think I'd be sitting here in this position, and it's only just the beginning. There you go. So from Uber driver to the first billion dollar broker, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.